part nine of anne severn and the fieldings by may sinclair this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part nine gerald chapter one at last in march nineteen sixteen gerald had got leave anne was right gerald had come through because he had had to stand up to the war and face it he couldn't turn away it was too stupendous a fact to be ignored or denied or in any way escaped from and as he had to take it he took it laughing once in the thick of it gerald was sustained by his cheerful obstinacy his inability to see the things he didn't want to see he admitted that there was a war the most appalling war if you like that had ever been but he refused all the time to believe that the allies would lose it he refused from moment to moment to believe that they could be beaten in any single action he denied the possibility of disaster to his own men disaster to himself possibly probably in theory but not in practice not when he turned back in the rain of the enemy's fire to find his captain who had dropped wounded among the dead when he swung him over his shoulder and staggered to the nearest stretcher he knew he would get through it was inconceivable to gerald that he should not get through even in his fifth engagement when his men broke and gave back in front of the german parapet and he advanced alone shouting to them to come on it was inconceivable that they should not come on and when they saw him running forward by himself they gathered again and ran after him and the trench was taken in a mad rush gerald got his captaincy and two weeks leave together he had meant to spend three days in london with his mother three days in yorkshire with the durhams and the rest of his time at upper speed with anne and cullen he was not quite sure whether he wanted to go to see the durhams more than anything he wanted to see anne again his last unbearable memory of her was wiped out by five years of india and a year of war he remembered the child anne who played with him the girl anne who went about with him and the girl woman he had found in her room at dawn he tried to join on to her the image of the anne that eliot wrote to him about who had gone out to the war and come back from it to look after colin he was in love with this image of her and ready to be in love again with the real anne he would go back now and find her and make her care for him there had been a time after his father's death when he had tried to make himself think that anne had never cared for him because he didn't want to think she cared now that he did want it he wasn't sure not so sure as he was about little maisie durham he knew maisie cared that was why she had gone out to india it was also why she had been sent back again he was afraid it might be why the durhams had asked him to stay with them as soon as he had leave if that was so he wasn't sure whether he ought to stay with them seeing that he didn't care for maisie but since they had asked him well he could only suppose that the durhams knew what they were about perhaps maisie had got over it the little thing had lots of sense it hadn't been his fault in the beginning maisie's caring afterwards perhaps in india when he had let himself see more of her than he would have done if he had known she cared but that again was hardly his fault since he didn't know you don't see these things unless you're on the lookout for them and you're not on the lookout unless you're a conceited ass then when he did see it when he couldn't help seeing after other people had seen and made him see it had been too late but this was five years ago and of course maisie had got over it 
there would be somebody else now perhaps he would go down to yorkshire perhaps he wouldn't at this point gerald realized that it depended on anne but before he saw anne he would have to see his mother and before he saw his mother his mother had seen anne and colin chapter two and while anne in gloucestershire was answering gerald's letter gerald sat in the drawing-room of the house in montpelier square and talked to his mother they talked about colin and anne what's colin's wife doing he said queenie she's driving a field ambulance car in belgium why isn't she looking after colin that isn't in queenie's line besides besides what well to tell the truth i don't suppose she'll live with colin after after what well after colin's living with anne gerald stiffened he felt the blood rushing to his heart betraying him his face was god only knew what awful colour you don't mean to say they i don't mean to say i blame them poor darlings what were they to do but he almost stammered it you don't know you can't know it doesn't follow well of course my dear they haven't told me you don't shout these things from the housetops but what is one to think there they are there they've been for the last five months living together at the farm absolutely alone anne won't leave him she won't have anybody there if you tell her it's not proper she laughs in your face and colin swears he won't go back to queenie what is one to think gerald covered his face with his hands he didn't know his mother went on in a voice of perfect sweetness don't imagine i think a bit the worse of anne she's been simply splendid i never saw anything like her devotion she's brought colin round out of the most appalling state we've no business to complain of a situation we're all benefiting by some people can do these things and you forgive them whatever anne does or doesn't do she'll always be a perfect darling as for queenie i don't consider her for a minute she'd been simply asking for it he wondered whether it were really true it didn't follow that anne and colin were lovers because his mother said so even supposing that she really thought it you don't go telling everybody i hope he said my dear gerald what do you think i'm made of i haven't even told anne's father i've only told you because i thought you ought to know i see you want to put me off anne i don't want to but it would wouldn't it oh lord yes if it was true perhaps it isn't jerry dear it may be awfully immoral of me but for colin's sake i can't help hoping that it is i did so want anne to marry colin really he's only right when he's with her and if queenie divorces him i suppose she will mother you are going ahead you may be quite wrong i may you can only suppose how on earth am i to know i can't ask them no you can't ask them of course he couldn't he couldn't go to colin and say are you anne's lover he couldn't go to anne and say are you colin's mistress if they wanted us to know said adeline they'd have told us there you are supposing it isn't true do you imagine he cares for her yes gerald i'm quite quite sure of that i was down there last week and saw them he can't bear her out of his sight one minute he couldn't not care and anne oh well anne isn't going to give herself away but i'm certain would she stick down there with everybody watching them and thinking things and talking if she didn't care so much that nothing matters but would she would she the best of his mother was that in these matters her mind jumped to meet yours half-way you hadn't got to put things into words 
my dear if you think she wouldn't supposing she cared enough you don't know anne i shall go down he said and see her if you do for goodness sake be careful even supposing there's nothing in it you mustn't let colin see you think there is he'd feel then that he ought to leave her for fear of compromising her and if he leaves her he'll be as bad as ever again and i can't manage him nobody can manage him but anne that's how they've tied our hands we can't say anything i see after all gerald it's very simple if they're innocent we must leave them in their innocence and if they're not if they're not well we must leave them in that gerald laughed but he was not in the least amused chapter three he went down to wick the next day he couldn't wait till the day after not that he had the smallest hope of anne now even if his mother's suspicion were unfounded she had made it sufficiently clear to him that anne was necessary to colin and that being so the chances were that colin cared for her in these matters his mother was not such a fool as to be utterly mistaken on every account therefore he must be prepared to give anne up he couldn't take her away from colin and he wouldn't if he could it was his own fault what was done was done six years ago he should have loved anne then going down in the train he thought of her a little girl with short black hair holding a black and white rabbit against her breast a little girl with a sweet mouth ready for kisses who hung herself round his neck with sudden loving arms a big girl with long black hair tied in an immense black bow a girl too big for kisses a girl sitting in her room between her white bed and the window with a little black cat in her arms her plaited hair lay in a thick black rope down her back he remembered how he had kissed her he remembered the sliding of her sweet face against his the pressure of her darling head against his shoulder the salt taste of her tears it was inconceivable that he had not loved anne then why hadn't he why had he let his infernal cowardice stop him eliot had loved her then he remembered colin little colcol running after them down the field calling to them to take him with them colin's hands playing colin's voice singing lord rendell he tried to think of queenie the woman colin had married he had no image of her he could see nothing but colin and anne she was there alone at the station to meet him she came towards him along the platform their eyes looked for each other something choked his voice back she spoke first gerald anne a strange thick voice deep down in his throat their hands clasped one into the other close and strong colin wanted to come but i wouldn't let him it would have been too much for him he might have cried or something you mustn't mind if he cries when he sees you he isn't quite right yet no but he's better oh ever so much better he can do things on the farm now he looks after the lambs and the chickens and the pigs it's good for him to have something to do gerald agreed that it was good they had reached the manor farm now don't take any notice if he cries she said colin waited for him in the hall of the house he was trying hard to control himself but when he saw gerald coming up the path he broke down in a brief convulsive crying that stopped suddenly at the touch of gerald's hand and left them together chapter four don't go anne colin called her back when she would have left them again after dinner don't you want gerald to yourself she said we don't want you to go do we gerald rather not 
gerald found himself looking at them all the time he had tried to persuade himself that what his mother had told him was not true but he wasn't sure look as he would he was not sure if only his mother hadn't told him he might have gone on believing in what she had called their innocence but she had shown him what to look for and for the life of him he couldn't help seeing it at every turn in anne's face in the way she looked at colin the way she spoke to him in her kindness to him her tender quiet absorption in the way colin's face turned after her as she came and went in his restlessness when she was not there in the peace the sudden smoothing of his vexed brows when having gone she came back again supposing it were true that they he couldn't bear it to be true his mind struggled against the truth of it but if it were true he didn't blame them so far from being untrue or even improbable it seemed to gerald the most likely thing in the world to have happened it had happened to so many people since the war that he couldn't deny its likelihood there was only one thing that could have made it impossible if anne had cared for him and what reason had he to suppose she cared after six years after he had told her he was trying to get away from her he had got away and he saw a sort of dreadful justice in the event that made it useless for him to come back if anybody was to blame it was himself himself and queenie that horrible girl colin had married when he asked himself whether it was the sort of thing that anne would be likely to do he thought why not if she loved him if she wanted to make him happy how could he tell what anne would or would not do she had said long ago that he couldn't that she might do anything they spent the evening talking by fits and starts with long silences in between they talked about the things that happened before the war before colin's marriage the things they had done together they talked about the farm and anne's work about barker and curtis and bollinger about mrs sutton who watched them from her house across the road mrs sutton had once been colin's nurse up at the manor she had married old sutton after his first wife's death old sutton who wouldn't die and let anne have his farm and now she watched them as if she were afraid of what they might do next poor old nana gerald said goodness knows what she thinks of us said anne doesn't matter what she thinks said colin and they laughed they laughed and gerald was not quite sure yet but before the night was over he thought he was they had given him the little room in the gable it led out of colin's room and there on the chimney-piece he saw an old photograph of himself at the age of thirteen holding a puppy in his arms he had given it to anne on the last day of the midsummer holidays nineteen hundred also he found a pair of anne's slippers under the bed and caught in a crack of the dressing-table one long black hair this room leading out of colin's was anne's room and colin called out to him do you mind leaving the door open jerry i can't sleep if it's shut chapter five it was gerald's second day he and anne climbed the steep beech-walk to the top of the hillock and sat there under the trees up the fields on the opposite rise they could see the grey walls and gables of the manor and beside it their other beech ring at the top of the last field they were silent for a while he was intensely aware of her as she turned her head round slowly to look at him straight and full and the sense of his nearness came over her soaking in deeper swamping her brain her wide-open eyes darkened 
her breathing came in tight short jerks her nerves quivered she wondered whether he could feel their quivering whether he could hear her jerking breath whether he could see something queer about her eyes but she had to look at him not shyly furtively but straight and full taking him in he was changed the war had changed him his face looked harder the mouth closer set under the mark of the little clipped fawn-brown moustache his eyes that used to flash their blue so gaily to rest so lightly were fixed now dark and heavy with memory they had seen too much they would never lose that dark memory of the things they had seen she wondered was colin right had the war done worse things to gerald than it had done to him he would never tell her gerald she said suddenly did you have a good time in india i suppose so i dare say i thought i had and you hadn't well i can't conceive how i could have had you mean it seems so long ago no i don't mean that you've forgotten i don't mean that either silence look here anne i want to know about colin has he been very bad yes he has how bad so bad that sometimes i was glad you weren't there to see him you remember when he was a kid how frightened he used to be at night well he's been like that all the time he's like that now only he's a bit better he doesn't scream now all the time he kept on worrying about you he only told me that the other day he seemed to think the war must have done something more frightful to you than it had done to him he said because you'd mind it more i told him it wasn't the sort of thing you'd mind most it isn't the sort of thing it's any good minding i don't suppose i minded it more than the other chaps if anything had happened to you or him or elliot i'd have minded that i know that's what i told him i knew you'd come through elliot was dead right about colin he knew he wouldn't he ought never to have gone out he wanted so awfully to go but elliot could have stopped him if it hadn't been for queenie she hunted and hounded him out she told him he was funking fancy colin funking what's queenie like she's like that she never funks herself but she wants to make out that everybody else does do you like queenie no i hate her i don't mind her hounding him out so much since she went herself i do mind her leaving him do you know she's never even tried to come and see him good god what a beast the woman must be what on earth made him marry her oh he was frightfully in love an awful sort of love that wore him out and made him wretched and now he's afraid for his life of her i believe he's afraid of the war ending because then she'll come back and if she does come back well she may try and take colin away from me but she shan't she can't take him if he doesn't want to go she left him to me to look after and i mean to stick to him i won't have him frightened and made all ill again just when i've got him well i'm afraid you've had a very hard time oh not so hard as you think she smiled a mysterious quiet smile as if she contemplated some happy secret he thought he knew it anne's secret you think it's funny of me to be living here with colin he laughed i suppose it's all right you always had pluck enough for anything it doesn't take pluck to stick to colin moral pluck no not even moral you were always fond of him weren't you that was about as far as he dare go she smiled her strange smile again yes i was always fond of him 
you see he wants me more than anybody else ever did or ever will i'm not so sure about that but he always did get what he wanted oh does he how about queenie even queenie i suppose he wanted her at the time he doesn't want her now poor colin you mustn't ask me to pity him ask you he'd hate you to pity him i'd hate you to pity me i shouldn't dream of pitying you any more than i should dream of criticizing you oh you may criticize me as much as you like no whatever you did it would make no difference i should know it was right because you did it oh it wouldn't be i do heaps of wrong things but this is right i'm sure it is here's colin she said he had come out to look for them he couldn't bear to be alone chapter six gerald had gone to sutton's farm to say good-bye to their old nurse nanny sutton nanny talked about the war about the young men who had gone from wick and would not come back about the marvel of sutton's living on through it all and he so old and feeble she talked about colin and anne well master gerald she said i do think it's a pity she should be livin all alone with mr colin like this ere you're all right annie you needn't worry well well miss anne was always one to go her own way and make it seem the right way you may be perfectly sure it is the right way i'm not sayin as tisn't and i dunno what mr colin ud done without her but it do make people talk there's a deal of strange things said in the place don't listen to them hey dear i'll not hear a word when anybody says anything to me i tell em straight they'd ought to be ashamed of themselves backbitin and slanderin that's right nanny you give it them in the neck if it'd only end in talk but there's been harm done to the innocent there's mr and mrs kimber kimber he's my husband's cousin nanny paused what about him well tis this way they're doin for miss anne livin in the house with her kimber he sees to the garden and mrs kimber she cooks and that and kimber that's my husband's cousin he was gardener at the vicarage and now he's lost his job along of master colin and miss anne what do you mean well sir tis the vicar he says they hadn't oughter be living in the house with miss anne because of the talk there's been so he says kimber must choose between em and kimber he says he'd have minded what the parson said if it had been a church matter or such like but parson or no parson he says he's his own master and he won't have no interferin with him and his missus so he's lost his job poor old kimber what a beastly shame eh tis a shame to be sure never mind i can give him a bigger job at the manor oh master gerald if you would it'd be a kindness i'm sure and kimber he deserves it the way they've stuck to miss anne he does indeed it's pretty decent of them i'll see about that before i go thank you sir sutton and me thought maybe you'd do something for him else i shouldn't have spoken and if there's anything i can do for miss anne i'll do it i've always looked on her as one of you it tis a pity all the same you mustn't say that nanny i tell you it's all perfectly right well i shall never say as tisn't no nor think it you can trust me for that master gerald he thought poor old nanny she lies like a brick chapter seven he said to himself that he would never know the truth about anne and colin if he went to them and asked them he would be no nearer knowing they would have to lie to him to save each other in any case his mother had made it clear to him that as long as anne had to look after colin he couldn't ask them 
if they were innocent their innocence must be left undisturbed if they were not innocent well he had lost the right to know it besides he was sure as sure as if they had told him he knew how it would be colin's wife would come home and she would divorce colin and he would marry anne so far as gerald could see that was his brother's only chance of happiness and sanity as for himself there was nothing he could do now but clear out and leave them and as he had no desire to go back to his mother and hear about anne and colin all over again he went down to the durhams in yorkshire for the rest of his leave he hadn't been there five days before he and maisie were engaged and before the two weeks were up he had married her end of part nine recording by expatriate in bangor maine